love church. I have all kinds of memories like you no doubt do. I have memories of a very small church in Woodbine, Pennsylvania that my dad pioneered and where I grew up for the first six years of my life. It was a simple church that had been a Methodist church in the past. It's very small, but it's still there today. It is still serving the purposes of God, and it's a very vibrant congregation. I remember a church in West Virginia. It's the second church that my dad pastored. It was at a crossroads, and the only thing in the crossroads was the church and a nearby school. The school had two rooms. I went there for part of my first grade. Grades one through four were rows one, two, and three in one room. Grades five and six were another row in another room. But I spent five years of my life at that church before my dad came here to pastor in Baltimore. I have had the privilege of seeing some extraordinary church buildings. If you watch the movie that is filmed in Paris, you've not only no doubt seen the Eiffel Tower, but you've seen the Cathedral of Notre Dame. And you've seen high on the hill the Cathedral of Sacred Heart. I had the opportunity to visit both of those places. When I visited Notre Dame, there wasn't a very large crowd. One of my impressions was that there were more lighted candles than there were worshipers in that building. But nevertheless, it was an impressive piece of architecture. I've had the opportunity to visit Westminster Abbey in London, York Minster Cathedral, its counterpart to the north, Lincoln Cathedral, one of the most extraordinary cathedrals. But I was also driving along a little country road in England, and I spotted a stone church building. I pulled off the road and I went over to it and I found a plaque that described the church as having been built in the 11th century, a thousand years ago. Vikings had passed through at one time and had destroyed the church and it had been rebuilt. Before I took a permanent break from social media, one of the groups that I followed on Instagram was Friendless Churches. It's a group in England that repairs old abandoned churches, some of them that are more than a thousand years old. Some of them far more recent, but to preserve that spiritual heritage, they repair them, they rebuild them, they maintain them. One of my most enjoyable ventures is to drive up through Baltimore County and through Pennsylvania. There you will see names of roads that have a church title, such as you're driving up Falls Road and it will say Grave Run Church Road, or Mount Zion 
church road. And so I'll follow those roads to see the church after which that road is named. Many of those churches are very identical in their architecture. They are rectangular, and they have three windows on each side. It was a typical Methodist design. Francis Asbury, the first superintendent for the Methodist Church here in the colonies, was recruited by John Wesley, and he came here and made his base of ministry in Baltimore. And every year he would do a circuit ride. Beginning here in Baltimore, he would make his way up through Maryland into Delaware, up through Delaware into New Jersey, into New York, across the southern New England states, up into Maine, across Vermont and New Hampshire, into northern New York and the Adirondacks, working his way across western Pennsylvania and into the Ohio Valley, making his way down through what is now Kentucky and Tennessee until he got to the area of Florida, and then he would begin to travel back up through Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, and back to Baltimore. And he did that every year. And every day, everywhere that he found, even just two or three people, he would preach the gospel. His journals are amazing to read. He documents the spiritual darkness. In fact, he tells how he went one evening from Baltimore to Fells Point. They were separate locations back then. And he writes of the deep, deep darkness that he saw manifested in Fells Point and the resistance to the gospel. But wherever he found someone who would respond to the gospel, he planted a church. And that is how most of those little churches that you might see if you're driving through Baltimore County to the north were planted. A few people won to Jesus Christ, a church established. I always try the front door of those little country churches. I want to see what it looks like inside. I want to see if there's any history to read. A hymnal to look at. Most time they're closed. Once in a while you're really fortunate. The door is open, you can walk in. And I wonder, who stepped across the threshold? What sermons were preached here? How did people experience the Word of God and the Gospel of Jesus Christ? Who worked and worked to maintain that building? and to keep the doors open so that people would have a place where they experienced the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the church is not really a building, is it? It's identified with buildings, but it's not really a building. We have that little rhyme that we would learn in Sunday school. Here's the church and here's the steeple. Open the doors and... Here's the people. And the church is the people of Jesus Christ. But the church has lost its way. 
The church has become an underachiever. The church barely resembles what Christ intended for it to be. The church has become distracted. The church has become powerless. The church is largely impotent in many parts of the world, chiefly in Western nations, in nations like America. Over the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at this subject of the church and its calling. And today I want to focus on this study, the true church of Jesus Christ. Identifying and being the true church. I want us to have a sense, first of all, of the company that we keep as the church of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 18 to 24, we read these words. You, I want you to say, you, as you look toward your neighbor. I want you to say, me. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. And this was the command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. The writer to Hebrews says, but you have come to Mount Zion. To the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than Abel. You and I are part of the rarest of company today. As the church of Jesus Christ, the church of the firstborn, those whose names have been written in the book of heaven, we today are in the company of thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. We are in the company of those that inhabit the city of the living God. We are in the company of God himself, who is the judge of all. We are in the company of those whose spirits have been made perfect. And we are in the company of the Lord Jesus the mediator of the new covenant. Now often when our children are little and we're visiting someone, we will say, make sure that you mind your manners. 
And we will tell them, Sarah is nodding her head yes. Hmm, you've heard this before, eh, Sarah? There are certain expectations that we have of our children. If they're going to the playground, we don't care. Run, yell, do whatever you want. But we're going here. This is an important visit. Make sure that you behave yourself. It is true when it comes to the church of Jesus Christ. We are in the most holy company. We are in the rarest of positions. When you and I gather together this morning, we gather in the company of angels. We gather in the presence of the judge of all. We gather before the Lord Jesus, who is the mediator of the new covenant. May we remember who we are and who we are with. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, the Apostle Paul is speaking of the exalted place that Christ has been given. And he concludes what he says with these words. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Would you read these words again with me? And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. This is a powerful statement. It deserves that you and I meditate upon it. God has placed everything under the authority of Jesus, including your will and your life. And God has appointed Jesus to be the head over everything for the church. And once again, that includes you and every detail of your life. Jesus is to be the head over everything that concerns you. And we are his body. We are the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians, a short little letter, but the most Christological of all passages in the New Testament, the most Christ-oriented. He wrote that Christ is the fullness of deity in bodily form. That God took all of his infinite fullness and he embodied it in Jesus Christ. For what purpose? For the reconciliation of all things through his blood shed on the cross. The full payment for sin. One of the books that I have in my possession that I treasure 
I found as a PDF online years ago. And then someone began reprinting some old books in Stoke-on-Trent in England, Tentmaker Publications. And they rep reprinted this one, which is called Fisher's Catechism. It is based on the Westminster Catechism. You know what a catechism is. It's a series of questions and answers that are intended to teach God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. Some catechisms work their way through the Lord's Prayer, work their way through the Ten Commandments. It's a way of teaching the truth of Scripture. Well, Fisher's Catechism takes every question and answer and expands it with about 20 more questions. Years ago, this was required learning in Sunday school in the Church of Scotland. I'm afraid today that our theology is ultra-light and inch-deep, especially when we look back at what others knew about Christ, and we look at who we are and how we are living as the Church of Jesus Christ. What we are sharing here this morning is like bare-bones theology about Jesus. It is the most extraordinary thought in Scripture. He is the fullness of deity. How could God contain His infinite nature within a physical human body? It is one of the miraculous aspects of Scripture. It is also one of the reasons why liberal theologians reject the truth of the Bible that you and I believe concerning Jesus Christ. It's not possible. It simply can't happen. Therefore, Jesus was just a human. But the only way that He could make redemption for your sin was a payment that exceeded your sin. And that payment could only come from an infinite God. Only He possessed the righteousness that would exceed your sin and make payment for your sin. Jesus is the fullness of deity in bodily form for the reconciliation of all things through His blood shed on the cross, the full payment for all sin. I'm sharing a number of scripture references as we go through this study today. I hope that you will take the time to look those up and allow the Word of God to enrich your understanding. The church, complete in Christ, is His fullness. The Apostle Paul said to the Colossians that not only was Christ the fullness of deity in bodily form, but that you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. What does that mean for us? That means that all the righteousness, all the holiness, all of the power, all of the victory that Christ has achieved is ours. We are in Him. We are united with His life. He is the vine. We are the branches. We are capable of and should be receiving day by day, hour by hour, and moment by moment 
the sufficiency and the strength of Him who is our head. The church is complete in Christ. We are, Paul said, His fullness, His body. That is, we are the visible manifestation of all that He is and all that His fullness encompasses, of which He is the head. Now, let me give you a little theological picture here. In Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said this, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. John said in his prologue, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 18, no one has seen God at any time, but only the Son, and He has made the Father known. Jesus would say, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus was the visible representation of God. But Jesus is no longer here on earth, is He? But He is here through His body. And we become what He was to the Father. The visible representation of Jesus. And we are to be the expression, the manifestation of all that He is. His fullness, His sufficiency, His victory, His authority. We have an extraordinary status. What is the calling of the church? What is the church? What is its purpose and calling? Does the church even know and understand its calling and purpose as the visible representation of Christ on earth? Is the church, that is, are we or am I living up to its calling and God's intended purposes for it? Let's be very candid, folks. When you and I look around, just this nation, we don't even need to go back home or go to another nation. Just look at this nation. Does it appear that the church understands that it is the visible manifestation of the fullness of Christ? Does it appear that most Christians understand that their life is not their own, their future is not their own, but they are called to be the manifestation the visible manifestation of Christ in this world. You see, the church can be no more than what you are. And if you do not understand that you are the visible manifestation of the fullness of Christ, then you, as a member of the body of Christ, impair the calling, the mission, the work of the church. So do we know and do we understand Let's look through a few things this morning. This is what the Bible teaches us. Who is the church? What is the church? What is its calling? First of all, the church are those who have been redeemed from under the power of sin, the fallen nature, and their slavish obedience to the influence of Satan, who have been made alive in Christ and brought into union with Him. 
You and I need to know Romans chapter 6 and know it well. Parents, it needs to be a passage that you and I teach to our children and that they know well. Make sure that you don't give them a great secular education and fail to make them rich in God's Word. The Apostle Paul speaks of our union with Jesus Christ and what it means to die to who we were and live alive to Christ. But let me ask you, does it appear that many Christians that you know truly understand what it means to be alive to Christ and to experience the fullness of His life within them? For many believers, you cannot tell the difference between them and the rest of the world. And when polls are taken among unbelievers, they can find little distinction between people who call themselves Christians and people who live like they do. There should be evidence of the work that Jesus Christ has done in us to redeem us by His blood. His work was to redeem us from under the power of sin, from responding to the impulses of our fallen sinful nature. Paul describes this slavish or this slave obedience that we had to the God of this world, the prince of the air. Instinctively, we responded to his promptings, and to the impulses of our sinful nature. And the Apostle Paul said, you were objects of God's wrath. The world is the object of God's wrath. And apart from the redeeming work of Jesus Christ, so are you and so am I. But we have been brought into union with Jesus Christ. And the life of Christ should be manifested in you, in me. Secondly, the church are those who have been covenanted to God as his children and called by his name, that is, his identity. John wrote in his prologue that Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. But to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You cannot become a child of God, John went on to say, because you were born into it. Because you decide to be. You can only become a child of God through the work of Jesus Christ. He is the one who gave you the right to become a child of God. Next week, as Oral reminded us, we are going to be coming to the Lord's table. We are going to remember, we are going to observe, as Jesus commanded us, his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. We will hear the words of Jesus when he said, this blood is the new covenant for the forgiveness of sins. For most of you, your children were born during the time that I have pastored here. And after your children were born, some of them under miraculous and supernatural circumstances, right, Kingsley and Chica? Only God. 
And so it was especially poignant for you, but all of us, we brought our children to be dedicated to the Lord. And we heard words that reminded us that that child does not belong to us. That child belongs to God. Children are a gift from the Lord. And we made a covenant before God and with this church as witnesses that we would raise that child in such a way that their hearts would respond to the grace of God, that they would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and that they would choose to follow God and to serve Him. We covenanted them to the Lord, like Hannah. God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. Those were my mother's words when she had tried to have children and miscarried twice. God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. I was raised from early on to understand my life is not my own. My choice of career needs to be laid before God, and I need to say, what is your will for my life? I'll tell you something. I never wanted to be a pastor, and I never wanted to be in the ministry. You see, as, I, as we came to Baltimore, there were a lot of difficulties and challenges in the church. I can remember as a young teenager being in church and people standing up in the service and speaking out against my father and denouncing his preaching. My dad used to fill the track rack and people would leave messages that they did not agree with this track and get rid of this because we don't like this. And I watched it happen various times as the body of Christ was just ripped apart by someone's divisive and carnal attitude, and I said, I never want to be a pastor. And I began to plan my own life and plan what I thought was a good plan that included being available to God to serve His purposes and His work. But between my junior and senior year, as I was at camp, God convicted me. And I can remember my age. I can remember the night. I can remember where I was at the altar at the front of the camp tabernacle when I surrendered to God and said, okay, I'll do your will. I left the high school I was attending. I went from my senior year to a Christian high school and applied to go to Bible school. Even then, I was kind of holding back from the Lord. Lord, I will do this or that to serve you, but I never want to be a pastor. God has a way of bringing us to the place where we will be fully surrendered to Him. And that's exactly what God did. My life is not my own. Your life is not your own. We plan our careers. We send our children to school, we send them to extra things so that they will get just what they need to have a great career. But our lives do not belong to ourselves. We have been covenanted to Him through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
And the Apostle Paul said that we should no longer live for ourselves, but live for him who died for us. The church are those who have been called out of the system and the patterns of this world. When you and I look around us, when we look at the Facebook page of some believers, we scratch our heads, we shake our heads, and maybe we are deeply grieved in our hearts. Because the way that they live and the things that they post show that they don't have any sense that the church of Jesus Christ has been called out of the system and the patterns of this world. And that includes at every level. It is not just the egregious things that we know are wrong. It is the way the world thinks, the way that the world structures its life, its future, its priorities. I was having a conversation this week, and it involves someone who is undertaking ministry with her fiancé. And they are planning to move to a particular location to engage in this ministry. And so as I was talking with this ministry person, the question came up. Are they going to move there together before they are married? It shouldn't be a question that would come up. And yet if you will ask Pastor Alan Gorman, who serves in Harford County and is part of Marriage Works, the majority of Christian young people who come for marriage counseling are already living together. Somehow they grew up in the church not knowing that that's not right. Or not having a deep enough sense of right and wrong and the identity of Christ to live out what the Word of God says but being so closely tied to the systems and the patterns of this world that they could not see and understand what God requires of us and what reflects His image. You and I should look so opposite of this world that we truly are, as Peter said, a peculiar people out of step with this world, unlike this world, provocative in the way that we live, convicting people because of our righteousness and our Christ-likeness. We should not look anything like this world, speak like this world, enjoy what this world enjoys. We are the peculiar people of Jesus Christ. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can live out God's perfect and pleasing will. And finally, the church is called to reveal the glory, love, and righteousness of God on earth. Church is not to be called to be wealthy. Church is not called as some churches believe they are, to multiply millionaires. The church is not called to make everyone feel good about everything about them. The church is called to be the glory, the love, 
and righteousness of God on earth. They are called to walk in the authority of Christ and His victory. We have been given authority to make disciples in all nations. It is not a marginal calling. It is our central calling. When we stand before Jesus Christ, He will want to know. Did you walk in my authority to make disciples of all nations? When the world looked at you, did it see the fullness of my love, my glory, my righteousness? The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, Christ has been made to you. What? You listen to some preachers today and it won't sound anything like what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He has been made to you righteousness, wisdom, and holiness in God. The world should be able to identify that we are the righteous people of God. We should not be living distracted lives, disconnected lives, with little of the presence, the influence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. The church has become largely prayerless. The church in general. I thank you for helping us maintain the level of prayer that God has called us to. I never imagined that we would be praying morning, noon, and night. And I never imagined that here we would be 18 months after we began and we're still doing it. Some nights there's one handful, some nights there's two handfuls, some nights there's three handfuls of people who are there. For, to me it's extraordinary. May God continue to help us. I was speaking to someone this week whose prayer meetings at their church died during COVID. They tried them on Zoom, but it didn't feel very good to people, and so they stopped having prayer meetings. The church of Jesus Christ is largely prayerless, therefore it is without power. It is without authority. Remember what Jesus said, this kind only comes out by much prayer and fasting. Does the world see in us as the church the authority and the power, the sufficiency, the glory, the beauty, the pricelessness of all that Jesus is? By His authority, are we making disciples of all nations? Are we teaching them to obey everything that He has commanded them? Are we making them ready for the day when Jesus Christ will come. The church is called to fulfill God's purposes for the salvation of the nations before the day of wrath. There is a day of wrath that is coming. Today is the day of salvation. When you read the Psalms today, in the first psalm of today, you will read David declaring, God, in your anger, deal with the nations. That day is coming. You will read in Psalm 86, the third psalm of today, where the psalmist speaks of 
the nations giving glory to God, that will come. But it will be after the day of wrath. When God out, pours out his judgment upon the nations. In the meantime, you and I are called to fulfill God's purposes for the salvation of the nations. The church, the people of the church, the body of Christ, we are God's ambassadors sent by him to reconcile the world to Christ. Paul spoke specifically of this to the Corinthians when he said that we will no longer look at anyone from a human point of view because if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And then he said, all this is from God who is in the world, not counting men's sins against them, but reconciling them to God. And he has made us to be his ambassadors, his representatives. He said, we are to be positioned in this world as though God himself were shouting through us, be reconciled, be reconciled, be reconciled before it's too late. Has the church lost its way and its calling? We are called to reconcile people to Jesus Christ. It is why Jesus died. It is why God invested his fullness in Christ. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 19, so that he could reconcile all things to himself through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. If we do not recognize ourselves first and foremost in being followers of Jesus Christ as his ambassadors, we've lost our way. The church is the body of Christ and the bride of Christ. Those are the two most beautiful titles that you and I can ever imagine possessing. Listen, you might get your bachelor's, move on to get your graduate degree, and move on to get your doctorate. You might have a string of degrees after your name. You might have a title of this or that and the other. Nothing in God's sight is more important, more priceless, and more eternal than you being able to say, I am part of the body of Christ. I am part of the bride of Jesus Christ. As the body and as the bride, we are called to be holy and set apart. We are called to be holy and set apart. In this world, as his ambassadors, but not of this world. Holy and set apart. We are called to be his presence and his ministry here on earth. And we are called to be living with a focused and urgent expectation for his coming. You and I should be able, Jesus said, to look at everything that is happening around us and know that the coming of Jesus is near. Remember that he rebuked the Pharisees and said, you can tell from the sunset what the weather is going to be like the next day, but you cannot discern the times of the Lord's coming. 
You and I should be able to look at what is taking place today, such as the strategic military relationship that is building between Russia, China, and Iran, spoken of in the Bible and happening today. And know where we are on God's timeline and that the coming of Jesus Christ is near. If we understand it, it will compel us and propel us to be about the work of Jesus Christ. But if we don't understand it, it's proof that we have taken our eyes off of Jesus. And his word no longer directs the details of our lives. We have a misplaced focus. Look at this list carefully. Does it represent you, the way that you live? Does it represent your family and the values with which you parent your children and you teach them to live for God and to be the church of Jesus Christ? Does this represent us? Does it represent the churches around you that might attract your attention? You might think about going there or listening to this pastor, watching this service online. This is who Jesus has called us to be as his body. His fullness, his presence and ministry here on earth. God forbid that we should be underachievers as the church of Jesus Christ when we have been given His fullness and His power in order to be all that He is. Let's pray together. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Father, we thank you that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. May we always remember that once we were not a people, but you have made us your very own through the work of your Son. Father, may we always remember that we were without the covenant, without the promises, without the hope. But you have grafted us in through the work of Jesus Christ. May we always remember what an extraordinary and special calling it is to be the church of Jesus Christ, to represent Him, to live our lives for His purposes and His glory. Father, I pray that every single one of us here today, should time pass and you tarry, the return of your son, that, Father, future generations will look back on us and will say, this one, that one, was a stalwart pillar in the church of Jesus Christ. He was a reliable man. He was faithful in the work that you called him to do. 
Father, we pray that we would disciple our children in such a way that they will truly know what it means to be the body of Christ and the church of Jesus Christ and to have clarity about your calling and your purposes for the church. Because, Lord, when we stand before you and you examine us to see whether we are recognizable as your church, as your body, as your bride, we don't want you to say, I don't know you. We want you to find us like you in every way. We want you to say to us, well done. I sent you as the Father had sent me. And just as I did what the Father sent me to do, I can say well done because you did what I sent you to do. Father, we pray that as the church of Jesus Christ, we will not miss our calling. We will not be successful in this world, but failures as the church of Jesus Christ. We will not accomplish the agendas of our own lives and fail to accomplish the mission that you have given to us. That we won't exempt ourselves from your calling and your purposes. But we will say, God, I believe that you have made me part of the body of Jesus Christ. And I want to fulfill your calling and your will for me. Here's my life, use me. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the privilege of being part of the body of Christ. I thank you that we have been called by you. As we go into this week, may we be faithful to that calling. May we become stronger in that calling. May we become, as we seek your face, more effective in that calling. In the name of Jesus, our Lord, the head of the church, we pray. Amen. Amen.